Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Well, here's a good question we don't get very often. When I go moose hunting, should I use my 32 Winchester Special or my 33 Winchester Centerfire? There are a couple of cartridges you don't hear much about anymore, but you're going to on this episode of Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We have a a patron who is going moose hunting in Maine. And the guy is from Oregon. What is going on? This is Dusty. He is a patron who asked me about which rifle he should take on his once-in-a-lifetime moose hunt in Maine. So let's just read what he had to ask me and what I told him. Ron, I'm from Oregon and I hunt mostly Rocky Mountain elk and bench leg deer. I don't know what a bench leg deer is there, Dusty, but... This year, I lucked out and I drew a bull moose tag in northern Maine, a long shot lottery tag. I was surprised and excited to draw it. My question is in regards to your recommendation of the caliber for my six-day hunt. I have two schools of thought. Here's the first. I love old lever-action guns, and I have taken elk with my old Winchester 32 Special in a Model 94 and my really old takedown Model 1886 in Winchester 33 Winchester Centerfire is another lever gun I love to hunt with, but I'm still waiting for the right shot on an elk. The 32 did the job with ease at close range, a bread basket shot on a cow, and down she goes. So I'm confident the 33 will perform similarly. I am shooting jacketed flat nose bullets out of both the 32 and the 33. It's hard to find those FTX bullets lately, darn it. So, would either of these old rifles be a good choice for the bull moose hunt? Too small, not enough energy, or is the terminal bullet performance not good enough? How tough are moose anyway? Second idea. I could just take my 7mm PRC and I load up some 160 grain CX bullets or maybe some 180 grain ELDX and be done with it. What do you think? I enjoy your podcasts. Lots of good information in them and I get a good chuckle 
every time you have to appease the 308 Winchester fans. Thanks in advance, Dusty. P.S. Maybe I should take all three. The lever guns for close-in brushy days and the 7PRC for the more open country days. <laughs> All right, Dusty. Here's what I responded to Dusty with. Dusty, so pleased to have your support. Thank you. Now, congrats on your moose tag. Moose are not all that tough, but penetration might be a concern. I'd use a controlled expansion bullet. The 33 Winchester Centerfire would be cool. I would take that plus the 7mm just in case. To my knowledge, there aren't likely many long shots in the main moose woods, but you might get one across a lake or something, so you'd be pretty bummed if you had a solid 300-yard shooting opportunity on the last day and you only had a 32 Special or a 33. So your lightest bullet? Ah, well, the lightest I ever took with... Uh, for a moose was a 120 grain bullet from a 6.5-06. That was a 240-yard shot, and one bullet did the job, and that was a 12-year-old big bull. So that's why I say moose aren't all that tough, but you do need a bullet that's going to reach through all that mass to hit the vitals. So let me know if you have any other questions or any special topics that you'd like to see me cover here. Cheers and good luck. All right. Now, something that we should probably touch on is this dilemma of which cartridge to take. Make up your mind and stick with it. Don't be vacillating. I've done this myself too often. We think, shit, this one or that one, or maybe I work up two different loads for the same one, and you end up confusing yourself. Now, I would recommend a backup rifle, especially on a one-time deal like this where you're traveling a long way. Anything could happen. Your rifle could break, and there you'd sit. And yeah, probably a smart idea. Once you get there and you determine, wow, there's no way I'm going to get a long shot here, so I might as well not even bother with that long-range rifle. Or just the opposite. You get there thinking it's going to be heavy cover in the thick main woods, which is what I would guess, and it ends up there's, a say, a, a timber harvest area, and it's got a lot of big open areas because they clear cut it and you see a moose 300 yards across a clear cut so you would be well prepared to have one of each i can understand the uh, allure of hunting with a lever action and then the old 33 winchester center fire that is uh an old cartridge but it's one of the the bigger ones um it's not as powerful as the 348 winchester which came later but it's a kind of an oldie oldie but goodie would be fun to hunt with one of those Okay, let's see. Let's go back now and see what uh, the team has come up with for questions. This looks like the list. Yes, from New South Wales, Australia comes Steve. Hi, Ron. I've been watching your YouTube channel and I just found your podcast. I'm enjoying knowledge you share with the listeners. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Steve. Say, as I'm starting to get into deer hunting, I'm looking at better distance rifle cartridges. I had that we have a minimum caliber of 243 plus 274 reds. That must mean red deer in Australia. Okay. Now I'm looking at the 308 because it's easy to get cartridges for it and it ticks off all the boxes for my main rifle. So, my question. Should I get a bold action light rifle such as a Howard 1500 or a Tika? Or should I get a lever action such as the Henry Long Ranger 308 or a Browning BLR 308? Neither of these I can get in country yet with uh, without an ETA. I don't know what that is. Some government red tape, I guess. But I love these rifles and I will wait until stock arrives from the States. Second question. 
Is there much loss in the accuracy between the bolt action and the lever guns in a 308 cartridge? Oh, good questions. Okay, so let's take the action style first, bolt action or lever. Personal choice, uh, bolt actions are a lot easier to tweak for precision shooting because of the one-piece stock. You can channel a uh, slide sandpaper down the channel to free float the barrel to make it shoot better sometimes or full length bed the channel to make it stiffer so it shoots better sometimes with the lever actions you end up with a two-piece stock and you can't do that sort of thing so you've got that forend hanging off the barrel that's going to impact changes to your shooting depending how you rest it if it's resting on your hand versus a hard surface or something that might change your point of impact um and Two-piece stocks just are never traditionally as accurate as one-piece stocks. And then there's the trigger issue. It's usually a little easier to tweak and perfect your trigger pull on a bold action than a lever action. But that said, there are still some lever actions that have been worked over by gunsmiths that make those triggers really quite remarkable. But as a rule, lever actions don't have the reputation for stellar accuracy to match the, the bold actions. Can be done. Sometimes happens right out of the box. Last year, I did a review for some magazine on the uh, Henry Long Ranger. I think you mentioned that here. Yes, the Henry Long Range. But mine was in a 223 Remington. I didn't expect much from it. By golly, that thing was printing half MOA. Half inch groups, three shots at 100 yards. Wow. With a lever action. So, can be done. I have used over the years some... Browning BLR lever actions got them shooting MOA. So the precision can be there. Now, I think it's going to come down to what you prefer to shoot with. I just love running a lever action, but I also enjoy the bolt actions for their lightweight, compact design. And I can run a bolt pretty fast. Most people who train with them can. It's not a handicap at all. And of course, you've got the advantage that we already talked about, generally a little easier to tweak for perfect accuracy. So I don't think you'll go wrong with either choice, Steve. I wish you well with either one. And even in a 308, as much as I poke fun of that cartridge, I have got to admit it is kind of the Goldilocks. It can do it all. Nothing wrong with it. It's just not what you would call snazzy and cutting edge. But boy, it sure is versatile. So good luck. Here's Gerard from Calgary, Alberta. Long way from Australia, both former British colonies. Hi, Ron. I recently discovered your podcast, and it's going to take some time to catch up on all the episodes. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're interested in catching them. I consider myself as someone who knows just enough about firearms, cartridges, and ballistics to be dangerous. <laughs> My question today is, why is the 5mm caliber not more popular? There was the 5mm Remington Rimfire that I believe has ballistic advantages over the 17 HMR and perhaps the 22 WMR, the Win Mag. The 30 grain 5mm Rimfire travels faster than the 30 grain 22 Mag and even faster than the 20 grain 17 HMR. And when we come to center fire, while well, there's only the 204 Ruger in a 20 caliber, that is commercially available, yet there are a few Wildcats, the 20 uh, Vartag and the 20 Tactical. So why did the 20 caliber not grow in popularity? I certainly think it will fit a gap between the 17s and the 223s. Thank you. 
Yeah, that's a good question. And I think the answer is that it's so limited in application. You get below a 22 and you no longer have an option for a deer hunting rifle in most places. Most states will allow 22 center fires for deer hunting. So folks figure, well, look, if I'm looking for a varmint cartridge or a coyote rifle, uh, 223, 22-250, something with a 22 still can be used for some precision deer hunting. Whereas a 20 caliber, nah, not so much. So it's exclusive and limited. That's part of the reason. And then, see, you've got the 22s and you've got the 17s. This is just kind of a, a bite right out of the middle. Not a huge advantage one way or the other. So that's probably the other reason why people just figure, ah, don't need it. But I, I have found that the 204 Ruger is a delightful little cartridge. It's the 222 Remington Magnum, pretty long, longer than the 223. Um, and they necked it down, obviously, to 204. I thought maybe that shorter Vartag would uh, become commercialized, but it never did. Neither did the 20 Tactical, but maybe someday they will. But I think what holds them back is just what I said earlier. They're just a little bit too mm, narrowly focused, shall we say. So um, one that you didn't mention is a 17 WSM Winchester Super Magnum. That is a big rimfire that is more powerful, shoots flatter, carries more energy, drifts less in the wind, blah, 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 than the 22 Win Mag or the 17 HMR. It's just not all that popular for some reason, and I think not a lot of uh, manufacturers chamber rifles for it. But I've used a couple over the years, and boy, I was sure impressed with the performance of that little cartridge. So you might want to check into that. I wish more rifle makers would uh, uh, chamber for that little thing because that is kind of the ultimate rimfire cartridge right now. All right, from New Jersey comes Drew. Ron, love all of the video and your work. I was wondering if you could tell me what software and websites you're using for your charts that show drop drift energy, maximum point blank range, etc., while taking into account the target size and the rifle weight for the specific cartridge. Thanks in advance. Drew, that is uh, easy. I go with shooterscalculator.com free online really does most of the data I need to search for and I'm comfortable using it because I've used it for so long I will say that the uh, JBM uh, is probably a little bit more detailed JBM calculations another online free source for doing that and that will give you a few more precision options to pick from, et cetera, et cetera. Those are a couple of good ones, but there are a lot more out there. So just do a search for ballistic calculators online, and you're going to get all that trajectory information. Now, most bullet manufacturers like Winchester Federal, Remington, um, Hornady, Nosler, whatever, most of those will have a calculator, but quite often they're fairly limited and often just to the loads that those brands offer. So you can get your ballistics off of that, but you really can't do comparisons for more advanced comparisons that you can with these independent ones. So though those are the ones I use, you might also want to get yourself some hand-loading manuals because they come in really handy too. Those will give you pretty good ideas of the, the numbers you can expect for muzzle velocity and such. So then you can work ahead, figure things out, and then say, yeah, based on what I'm reading here in these manuals and what the potential performance is, of these rounds, I'm going to go with this one over that one and make your choices. Okay, here is um, from Travis in Virginia. 
Hey, Ron, how about a video on the eight millimeters? I know they have never been popular in America, but I believe that they deserve a second chance. Thank you. Yeah, Travis, you're exactly right. The eight millimeters, just not that popular here. Um, and you, you got to look at the eight millimeter Mauser. That started it all. 1888 in Germany, they had that eight by 57. It was initially the J and it used a 0.318 inch diameter bullet. They later changed that. I think it was around 1905, and they upgraded it to take a 323-inch diameter bullet. So they went wider for some reason. So the first one they called the 8x57J, the second one the 8x57JS to differentiate. But uh, the upshot is that that particular case was sort of the grandfather of everybody. Um, the 30-06 came from it. The 757 Mauser came from it. The 308 Winchester, all of them have the same rim diameter, same head diameter, basically the same body size. They just shorten it, lengthen it, change the shoulder angle, various things like that. So it is an important cartridge, but eight millimeter, when you're talking 32 caliber, that's where you're just not all that popular in the States. We had the 3230, a black powder round in lever actions, not very powerful, little plinking gun really for small game. Then the 32 Special, which was the 3030 necked up, really doesn't do much more than the 3030 does. Um, and then, gosh, you jump up to the uh, 325 WSM. That is one of the best. Uh, the Short Fat Magnum, I think it's the most efficient of the WSMs. If you're looking for something different, you've got a short action and you've got plenty of horsepower in that baby with that big wide bullet. Then there's the 8mm Remington Magnum, which has never really took off. And I think it's because it's just too close to a lot of others, especially the 338 Win Mag. And the 8mm the Rem Mag is stuck on a full-length Magnum cartridge. So it's a little more pricey, and you sometimes have to get a, a rifle that will fit that. Get a heavier rifle, longer rifle, and all that stuff with the Magnum uh, length actions. So that's part of the reason. But the big reason why they're not that popular in the States is that they really aren't needed. Most of us hunt deer and the 30s are more than enough. And then the 300 Magnums, still 30 caliber, are plenty for moose and even the big bears. So most of us stop at the 300s because we don't want to mess around with more recoil. There are the big boar fans who love the 338s, the 35 Whalen, and the 375s and stuff. And even up into the 40s and the 45s. But generally, hey, if you're going to buy a rifle, you want it for deer hunting, and you might go for elk. Maybe you'll get lucky and get a moose tag someday. 300s, the 30s are going to do the job. Even the 7s and the 270s. So most people seem to settle there. They don't want to mess around with the bigger ones. And if they do, they go really bigger. They don't just jump up to the 32. They jump up to the 35s or 37s or 40s. That's kind of my take on it. Now, I did do a standalone video on the 8mm Remington Magnum, but it's kind of hard to find on YouTube because we didn't call it 8mm. We made it the mystery cartridge. Guess which one we're talking about. It goes this fast. It handles bullets from this size to that size. It was the only one. Remington ever chambered in this caliber and that sort of thing until people could answer the question. It was kind of fun. Got a pretty good response from it. But I didn't think at time, oh, people aren't going to be able to search for this because it doesn't say 8mm Remington Magnum on the on the thumbnail and the, the title because that would give away the mystery. So I'm going to ask uh, Silas to change the the darn title on that thing so folks can find it a little more easily. But it's out there, and I think it's labeled as the mystery cartridge right now. You might want to search for that. should find it on my channel somewhere. 
All right, let's see. Ah, Oregon, going back to Oregon with Jeff. Ron, you always have the best, easiest to compare in comprehensive ballistics. Well, thank you for that, Jeff. I, I don't know if I get the best, but I try. Do you pull those from one book or source them from many? What would you recommend as the best ballistics book? Thanks, Jeff from the red part of Oregon. That would be east of the Cascade Mountains, <laughs> cowboy country. Um, Jeff, it's a combination of books and online trajectory ballistic calculators that I talked about earlier here. So do what I mentioned there, shooterscalculator.com, JBM. Go there to get your calculations and do all the math for you. And then the hand-loading manuals will give you lots of details. Not only do they have the recipes for the cartridges, which primer to use, how much powder, which bullet, and all that good stuff, but they have basics on what pressure is in a barrel, your external ballistics as well as internal ballistics, what a change in primer is going to do, how it all goes together and how it works. Just lots of good details and information. And each one of those manuals has a little bit different stuff. Some have more, some have less. I really like the Spear Manual for more details. They will list the parent cartridge, the year it first came out, the uh, SAMI maximum pressure for it. You don't get that in a lot of hand-loading manuals. Boy, the Spear one has it. So there's a lot of fun details in there. And then lots of little little short sentence things about back in 18, so whatever, somebody did this with it and fun little details like that that lick, just make it a lot more interesting. So you will want some hand-loading manuals to go along with your ballistics calculators. But most of the ballistics now, that's an online thing. You can buy a ballistics calculator, I suppose, on a, on a CD or an app or something, and you can load them on your phone too. They've got apps that will fit on your phone. You can use them in the field. I don't use those very much because they're, you know, they're kind of small and I'm just not used to doing it. I like to work on a laptop, call me an old FUD, but that's what I am. But it's out there and most of it is free. You're not going to get your hand loading manuals for free. But then again, a lot of the bullet companies and powder companies also have hand loading information online for free. So you can get a lot of things without having to drop a bunch of money on it. But I just like having the books. I can open one up to a page, open two more, and then compare. This one's using this much powder, and they got this velocity. And this one used this much powder, and they got less velocity. How come? Did they use a shorter barrel? Or is it was just because their chamber was a little looser in that barrel? I don't know. It helps you understand it all. So I like to have several books open at a time. All right, now let's see. Let's go from Oregon down to Texas. We get a little hotter, a little drier. Not quite as many mountains and certainly not as many fine, high country pine trees. <laughs> Jim from Texas. I recently became the owner of a Saco 30-06 made in 1967, and I love the workmanship and appearance of the gun. With advancements in ammunition over the past 50-plus years, should I be cautious when shooting modern High-pressure ammunition in this classic rifle. <laughs> classic rifle? What are you doing to me here, Jim? <laughs> I remember when that came out. <laughs> 1967 is not exactly long ago. Well, I guess it is. <laughs> I just don't think of it that way. Hey, no worries here, buddy. The steels in rifles made in 1967 were more than good enough for today. In fact, 1906, 30-06 came out. It's the same cartridge now as it was then. The steels could contain the pressures. In fact, I think the 30-06 is at 60,000 or 62,000 PSI pressure. 
And then the 270 Winchester, which came out in 1925, was given 65,000 PSIs in the same rifles. Model 54 bolt action Winchester rifle, chamber at 30 at six, chamber at 270. Same case, you just neck it down to 27, and they're going up in pressure to 65,000. That has not changed. Sammy has specifications and tolerances for all the cartridge dimensions and the pressures and that sort of thing. And the manufacturers have to adhere to that. And so do the hand loading manuals. So the ammunition has no more pressure in it today than it did then. In fact, a lot of the manufacturers went down in their pressures for safety reasons. When they first came out with them, they were all pushing that we're the hottest and the fastest, and they would push those pressures right on up there. And then they got to thinking, eh, we don't want to get sued if some guy builds this in a week action rifle or something and blows it up. So let's just tone it down a little bit. <laughs> so you're not going to have any kind of a problem shooting modern 30-06 ammunition in your old 1967 Sako rifle. <laughs> Everything's going to be just fine. But it was a good question because a lot of people think that modern powders and modern ammunition is so much more powerful than the old stuff. No, it isn't. They've got to maintain the standards. All right, here is oh another one from Texas, but this is from the Woodlands, Texas. So this must be Eastern Texas, getting over toward the Louisiana border. Bill, Ron, you have been providing a thorough review of the various standard cartridges and their potential uses. But what I really would like to know, do Magnum cartridges add any value to the normal, realistic hunting situations? Weatherby has made a business by focusing on big Magnum cartridges and the rifles to shoot them, but their products come with a price, probably hearing damage too, and higher owner expenses, etc., etc. Is the juice worth the squeezing? <laughs> Good question, and my flat-out answer is no. Now, this might offend some people. Here's the deal on Magnum cartridges. Essentially, all a Magnum does, there's really no clear definition of what makes a Magnum, because there are some non-magnum cartridges that actually shoot the same bullets faster than the magnum labeled cartridges. It was a label to gin up sales. People get more interested if you call it a magnum. And it started kind of with the uh, 375 H&H magnum with a belt around it. Wow, this is such a powerful cartridge. They had to put an extra belt of brass around it to hold in all those pressures, which is no nonsense. This is not required. It's for head spacing. So the cartridges are not what's determining how much pressure you can put in it. It's the receiver, the action, the whole rifle as it's put together can take about this much internal pressure when that powder turns to gas. So that's what they're worried about. Now, if you have a Magnum, you've got to have more pressure, more powder, and drive that bullet faster. So you have to make sure your rifles are built strong. And that's what Weatherby kind of focused on. They made a big, heavy action, nine locking lugs on their bolt instead of just two and that sort of thing. But generally, uh, the manufacturers are going to have all that stuff standardized. And the magnums are merely going to give you a little more velocity to the same bullets. The animal doesn't know if it got hit by a 180-grain bullet that was going 500 feet per second faster or slower than the other one. What the magnums do for you is give you the ability to shoot farther and hit your target more easily because you have less drop and less defection in the wind. The faster the bullet goes, the faster it gets there, the less of those problems you're going to have. So it makes it easier to get 
to your game and not necessarily hit it harder and kill it faster that way. I have found over the years that I can shoot right through a deer or into a deer with a 300 win mag and have it respond no differently than if I'd shot it with a 243 or even a 22-250. Hit the deer in the chest, the deer runs off, gets wobbly, falls over. What difference did the big bullet with a magnum power make? Really didn't. Um, and, and a lot of guys will say, well, that's because you used too hard of a bullet and it sailed right through and didn't leave the energy in the animal. No, I have shot these deer with bullets that stayed inside carrying over 3,000 foot-pounds of energy and that little 200-pound deer did not collapse on the spot, didn't get knocked over, any of the things we think you would get from a magnum. And that's why I think I don't think the juice is worth the squeezing if you're expecting that bigger hammer to kill that animal right now and then every time. And a classic story I tell quite often is about the gentleman who is at one of my seminars and was tired of having to track deer in the heavy forest in Michigan, as I recall. So we got a 300 Remington Ultra Magnum. I'm going to anchor those whitetails right there, not have to go hiking through the swamp, blood trailing those deer. I said, great. How did it work out? Well, the first deer I shot was a little doe came out of the edge of the hemlock swamp and I put it right on her chest. I said, about how far away was it? Oh, about 150 yards. Oh yeah, that should be plenty of good energy on that deer, right? Oh yeah. Shot her right in the chest. I said, well, what happened? She turned around, ran into the hemlock swamp and I never found her. <laughs> Which it makes my point. Yeah, the bullet does its damage and the deer is going to hemorrhage and die unless you hit the central nervous system. The magnum doesn't make the difference. Sometimes it does. Yes, yes, we're going to argue the hydrostatic shock business, but you can get hydrostatic shock from a 257, whether it be magnum, you can get it from a 25 out 6, or you cannot. And I have done this with both of those and a lot more. And there's just no consistency to this hydrostatic shock. And I've still not found a good, solid, scientifically researched description of or proof of hydrostatic shock. We know that it sometimes happens. You shoot a deer in the chest and damn, it dies right then. Wow, hydrostatic shock. All that energy just killed him instantly. Then again, it doesn't happen. Most often, it doesn't happen. So I wouldn't get a magnum for that reason. But boy, if you want to have a little longer reach, and some of those magnums will give you an additional 50 yards of reach before your bullet falls out of its maximum point blank range. That's worth having. Now you can compensate for that these days with the laser range finders. But, you know, if you don't have time to use it, it's nice to know that your maximum point blank range is 320 yards instead of 280 yards. There's where your magnum will give you an advantage. So that's kind of my take on the magnums. Um, I do hunt with magnums. Uh, I like them. If you don't mind recoil and a little more expense, a little more muzzle blast and all the rest of it, nothing wrong with a magnum, but you certainly don't need it to take your game. Okay. The 3030 has proved that many a time since 1895. All right. Uh, that's it. No more questions. The team had pulled up that many and that's it. So thanks to Bill and Jim and Jeff and Travis and Drew and Gerard and Steve. And uh, thanks to Dusty uh, from Patreon. If you would like to join us and support Ron Spomer Outdoors on Patreon, we would sure love to have you. So go to patreon.com and look for Ron Spomer Outdoors, and it'll give you the full instructions on how you can join us and become a supporting member of these broadcasts, our other Ron Spomer Outdoors YouTube channel, our blogs, our website, and the whole program. We really appreciate the support and thank all of our patrons. Until next time, this is Ron Spomer. Hunt honest and shoot straight.